Well, good morning, friends. I am enjoying this study, and I pray you are as well. I always say I get more out of my studies than anybody else, and uh, it's because I, I'm retired and I get the time to kind of look deep into it. Uh, so grab your Bibles. Um, if you have your books that you got, uh, great. I hope you've been able to uh, to to order them um, and, and get these. That would be great. So let's turn to our memory verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker, who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You can see from this verse, our memory verse, that there are some things that are required of us. Uh, we are to work. Uh, we are to find ourselves working hard enough to be approved. Now, that doesn't mean that we're saved by our works, but when we handle the word of God, we should study it. We should intensely look into it. We should find others to help us uh, to teach us so that we can rightly handle it. And so we should be busy. We're not just sitting in church on a Sunday morning, looking at the scriptures on the screen uh, for 30 minutes. And that's, that's all we do for the week. That's not going to cause you to grow. That's not going to cause you to be the disciple that he wants you to be. And then uh, let me read again uh, the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. As we get into uh, breaking down now the Apostles' Creed, uh, remember we've talked about belief, and so uh, we believe, first of all, in God, the Father Almighty. In God, the Father Almighty, not just some generic God, but it's imperative that we understand the God that we believe in is God, the Father Almighty. How do we even begin to speak of God? And by what right can we call him our father? The audacity of claiming to speak of God seems massive enough just to speak about him. But then we go on to dare to call the father or the almighty God our father. Where in the world does that come from? Well, let's look at where that comes from. Matthew chapter 6. This isn't something we invented. This isn't something pastors decided to do in a church. This goes to Matthew chapter 6, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And in verse 9, he says of Matthew chapter 6, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That was something so incredibly new. In fact, it bordered on blasphemy to call God your Father. Jesus did it, but he was teaching his disciples to do the th same thing. What was he saying? That God is personal. God is relational. God desires to uh, have a relationship with you. And as we get into the scriptures, I hope you understand uh, this. Now, I struggled with 
God as father because I struggled with my relationship with my dad and much of it was my fault. I was immature. Uh, I was angry. I was bitter. Uh, my dad and mom divorced and my hero, my dad left um, and I held it against him for years. But so when I came to Christ, calling God father was very difficult for me, but I have learned that God the Father is the pure example of what a true father should be. And I have forgiven my father and forgiven myself as well. So my father, if you don't know, is in heaven. I was able to lead him to the Lord by the grace of God hours before he died. And uh, and I'm excited about that. Um, so what Christians desperately need at this time is to return to historic Christianity, the Christianity that emerged from the rich doctrinal commitment and evangelistic fervor of the apostles. And what was their belief? Their belief that God the Father sent God the Son, and when God the Son gave his life and was crucified, died, um, and rose, they said they they sent God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is involved in your salvation. A.W. Tozer says this about discipleship. He said, what comes to your mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. What the church means when it says the word God reveals everything about our worship and our theological integrity. If we begin with a wrong concept of God, we will misconstrue the entirety of the Christian faith. If we don't understand who God is, not that we have to have a full understanding because we never will, but if we start with the wrong perception of who God is and the, the wrong concept of who God is, we will mess everything up. And that's important. Um, the fact is, this fact is why heretics and false teachers so often begin by rejecting the, the doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If we can reject God as he has revealed himself in Scripture, then we can and will reject everything else. The Trinity is essential to your faith. We are Trinitarians. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. From the time of the apostles onward, the church has taken its stand on this phrase, I believe in God, the Father, Almighty. Notice the Apostles' Creed does not begin merely with the words, I believe in God. A lot of people say that. Numerous surveys have been taken that people say, I believe in God. And then when they define it or they're asked to define it, it is so nebulous and so some kind of a spiritual austere uh, thought about this force or this, you know, this big man upstairs. I, it said, I believe in God, the Father, the maker of heaven and earth. It goes beyond that simple phrase to describe the identity and character of God. The Christian faith is not established on some abstract deity or some God. We do not confess, I believe in something um, with a strong religious or spiritual quality, a higher power or force. We are here in the name of the supernatural and the sacred and the divine. That's who God is, the supernatural, the sacred, and the divine who has chosen to make himself known to us. Now, turn to Romans chapter 1, a difficult portion of scripture in Romans chapter 1. But probably Paul's greatest writings are in Romans, the book of Romans. 
So we turn to Romans chapter 1, because according to Scripture, everyone knows that God exists. Even if they claim to reject that knowledge. And even to say that I reject their, uh, the knowledge of God does not mean that there is no God. It just means that someone is trying to reject the knowledge of God. But Romans says it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? The truth that there is a God. For what can be known about God, listen to this, is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. So they are without excuse. All of us are without excuse for although they knew God or that there was a God, they did not honor him as God. Or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became as fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Calvin described the human heart in a fallen state as a perpetual factory of idols. We will worship something. We were created for worship. Turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 19 along this line of, of the fact that God is, has not hid himself. And in creation, he shows himself. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. 24-7. 24-7. There's no speech nor are there words where his whose voice is not heard. Their voice does, uh, goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving its chamber every morning and like a strong man runs its courts with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit around the globe to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun rises, it circulates around the globe and what he says is, all of those things prove that there is a God. All of those things. And then Romans says, because of that, we're without excuse. And then if you go back to Psalm 1, or Psalm 14, excuse me, verse 1, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They are abominable deeds. There is none who does good. None. None of us. None of us. Nobody who has ever lived other than Christ, no one other than Christ has been pure and has been holy and lived a righteous life. Look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says this. It's quoting from the Old Testament. There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one. And what did God do because of that? God did not uh, allow uh, this world to, to just wander, to wander aimlessly. No, the Bible says that he sent his son. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That's the God that we serve. And Jesus says about prayer, he says, approach this God, our father, who art in heaven. 
And obviously, he's talking to his disciples, so he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who are believers, and he's teaching them, and he says, approach God the Father. Once you're a believer, you approach him, and you say, our Father who is art in heaven. Carl Henry says this, and I think this is beautifully, uh, beautifully said when he explains God's love for us. It says, he forfeits his own personal privacy that his creatures might know him. God didn't have to make himself known. He chose to make himself known. And as Carl Henry says, he forfeits its own, his own personal privacy that creatures might know him. You and I. You and I would have this opportunity to know him. Let me read this to you. I, I just thought this was amazing. Um, in Great Britain, they conducted a massive study on the religious convictions of British people specifically of their belief in God. What the survey revealed is that even many who believe in God do not believe that God is personal, intervenes in human history, or has anything to do with the person and work of Christ. One responded to the survey summarized his view of God quite succinctly. When asked, how would you describe the God in whom you believe? He said, oh, just an ordinary God. Just an ordinary God. Many people we interact with in our neighborhoods and workplaces believe only in an ordinary God, far from hauntingly, even many people who sit next to us in worship believe in just an ordinary God. This ordinary God is not the God of the Bible. Our concern with the first article of the creed is not with just an ordinary God or with the God of the philosophers, but with the holy God who's revealed himself in scriptures. God is chosen through general revelation, through the sky, through the birds, through the sun, through the moon, through the stars, and then through specific revelation, his son, Jesus Christ, and the word of God to make himself known. The Christian identity is marked by the confession of God, the Almighty Father, the Father Almighty. The, con the content of the Christian life begins with the affirmation of the God who is who spoke and who revealed himself. When the Apostles' Creed begins with these words, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, it immediately gets to the essential content of our faith, God's Trinitarian nature. Without this affirmation, Christianity is incoherent. It does not hold together. Our Father is a personal God. A personal God. The creed, like scripture, indicates that the first person of the Trinity has revealed himself to us as a father. In other words, this is not some distant, unknowable deity, but a God with whom we have a personal relationship with. He's not a force or a principle or a higher power. He has instead revealed himself as the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul says this. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's the Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's revealed himself in the Old Testament as a father. So this is nothing new. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, 
the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 6, Moses writes this, do you thus replay the, uh, repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you, and who established you? God the Father is personal. Don't turn there, but in Hosea, write this down, Hosea chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. God is described as the father carrying Israel as a child. You cannot get much more intimate than that, than a picture of a father carrying his child as God carried Israel. And then in Psalm 68 and verse 5, it says that God is a father of the fatherless and protector of the widows. It is God in his holy habitation. He's a, a God, the father to the fatherless, and he protects the um, orphans, and he protects uh, the widows. What an amazing father who's chosen to reveal himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and I'm going to have to close on this scripture. I have way much more to talk about on this, but our time is getting away. John chapter 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and in verse 6, he says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known the Father. From now on, you do know him, the Father, because you've seen me. God has chosen to reveal himself in his Son. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe um, that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does this work. So as we start the Apostles' Creed and we start with, I believe in God the Father, we need to understand that we don't just believe in some nebulous spiritual being. We believe in God who has revealed himself as a father of Jesus Christ. He's not a spirit or a force out there that we can't know, but he has made himself known as Carl Henry says, he's, he's given up his privacy to make himself known to you and I. We'll pick up on this thought again tomorrow. Let me pray for us in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you till we talk again.